The following is presented to you by Maranatha Bible Church of Comstock Park, Michigan. For more information, go to mbcmi.org. If you don't have a copy of the notes, Bob is getting some more copies, just so you know. Uh, Bob is, he'll, he'll bring them down in a few moments. get started. If you didn't get a copy of the notes, Bob Scott is printing some more. He'll bring them down in a moment. So um, uh, let me, Jason, could you shut that door? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, let me pray and then we'll, um, we'll get started. Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you for the wonderful message we heard this morning. And just um, a reminder of your greatness, Lord. Uh, we thank you for preserving your word for us. Uh, that We can see uh, the clear gospel message preserved through um, the book of Matthew and all the rest. We're so thankful for that, Father. I pray now that as we look at the subject of uh, parenting, you would... Um, just help us in this area, Lord. Help us to be diligent in honoring you through our parenting and um, in our families, that we would desire to be more like you. Uh, we give this time over to you now in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, as you know, this class is on parenting for all life stages. Um, before we get started, though, I just want to read, I want to talk a little bit about where... Um, the, God's perfect plan for the family, where we first see it, is in Genesis. Right? We see it in Genesis. There's, there's actually two accounts of creation that we see in the book of Genesis. We see uh, the creation of mankind. We see one in Genesis 1, uh, verses 26 to 28. And then we see the same, we see another account of the creation of a man and woman in Genesis 2, chapter 7. I talked a little bit about this in my women's class yesterday, so they're like, we already know this. <laughs> but the first account that you see in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, is just talking about the purpose of God creating man. It talks about the purpose, why he did it. And it says this, Genesis 1, 26 through 28 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it. So there we see God created man, woman, and then the, the reason for that was so that uh, man and woman would be fruitful and multiply, have children, and that they would rule over all of creation. They were created as 
Adam was created as the king of this kingdom. Now, we, we know in Genesis 3 there was the fall, but that's the purpose of the creation, was Adam and Eve were to come together, to have a family, and then to rule on the earth. And that second account just talks about how he did it. He said it uh, Genesis 2.7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, this is how he did it, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And then there again it talks in chapter 2, we see... Uh, Bob has some more copies, so anybody that doesn't have a copy. Gently raise your hand. Um, so there we see the, the method of how he did it. And he took Eve, or he took Adam, and he said it was not good for man to be alone. So in both of these accounts, we see the importance of the family. It was not good for man to be alone, so he took Adam, and in your Bible it probably says, took his rib, actually in the Hebrew it says it, took a chunk of his side and formed a woman out of that chunk. And then, um, if you're out of notes, I can get you notes later. I know Bob didn't print enough, but... <laughs> just kidding, it was my fault. Um, so it just shows the importance of the family unit. It was right there at the beginning. That's God's perfect plan for um, the family. is a man, a woman, and children. Now, I kind of want to get started by just asking a couple questions. First of all, um, how many of you in here, let's see, came from large families? Raise your hand. A large, more than two kids. More than three kids. More than four. More than five. Okay, that's pretty large, I guess. Um, if you came from a large family, um, what do you remember most about your family life in that context? What are some things, that the dynamics that you remember most? Just things that really, um, you, you want, to, want it to be done in your family as well. Joy. Joy, okay. Yeah. What about, did you make it easy or hard for your parents? <laughs> yeah, I can just tell by the laughing. <laughs> I come from a family of... Four. I'm the youngest. I'm the baby, so I got whatever I wanted most of the time. My brother, I could tell you story after story of my brother's torturing me, but, you know, we won't. Okay, uh, how many of you already have kids in this room? Okay. There's, you know, quite a few. Is parenting what you expected it to be if you have kids? No, it laughs again. No, it's not, is it? Um... What, what's been the hardest thing about parenting so far? Anybody? The kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good Gary. There's a lot of truth. Yeah. But no, for me, it's been um, it's a daily revealing of my own issues with my own anger. Mm. It, that's it's good. A, it's a chance for God to reveal just how depraved I am. That's good, yeah. And how much I have to go in my own sanctification. Mm. Yeah. I think that's true with marriage as well, right? When you first get married, that's the first step of sanctification in your life. And then you start having kids, and everything changes. So, just to let you know, I have two kids, so I'm not speaking completely out of ignorance. They're both moved out. I have grandkids already. Um, my son is married, lives in uh, Wyoming here. Um, my daughter lives in California with her husband. They have two kids, and the third one on the way. So, um, What's the one thing... 
you would tell future parents, for those of you that are parents right now, for those like um, Elliot who don't have kids yet, what would you tell them? Patience. One thing. Patience. Be consistent. Be consistent. Patience, I heard. What else? Pray now. Pray now. <laughs> Lots of prayer. Yep. Okay, and then we already know how many of you don't have kids. What about, what are some of the things that you're concerned about for those, for those of you that don't have kids? We would always, like, if you ask mom and she says no, you just go ask dad. And if dad says yes, then you listen to what dad says, or okay. vice versa. So right. Divide, the, the divide and conquer, that concept? Yeah. You got to watch out for that. Yeah. So it's so important for you to be on the same page, communicating well. Um... If you could ask the rest of one question about parenting, I guess maybe that would be it. Would that be it? How, how can you, the best way to keep that from happening? What is, what's another question if you could ask them? What would it be? Bill. I think the issues of discipline, uh, the differences in grandchildren and how you were disciplined hmm. or the differences between how they discipline and what you might do differently. Okay. Yeah. Well, those are, that's true. All right. Well, I want to talk a little bit about this guy. Just to kind of, you might have heard of him before. Uh, his name is Michael Rotondo. Okay. 33 years old. 30 years old. Probably 33 by now. But he still lives in his parents' basement and they took him to court to get him to move out. And um, he told, the, they've been trying to get him to move out for eight years. I think he has a kid, a son. And he told the judge, I just need more time. I just, my parents just need to give me more time. You know, um, how much more time do you need? Eight years, this guy's been living there. Um, you can, and now I, I looked up something else about him, and he just got fired from his job at Chick-fil-A. I'm not saying anything bad about Chick-fil-A. I'm just saying um, he got fired from there because... Uh, he said that they were um, discriminating against him because he missed so many days of work because of his kid or something, so he ended up getting fired. But I don't think he lives with the parents anymore. But um, I think, you know, that we can all re relate to stories like that. I mean, that's a little goofy, but that story's a little goofy. But at some level, we can all re relate to stories of children who either never grew up like that guy or... These, you know, your children, they just go off the rails. They change from, um, you know, this little girl here, and all of a sudden between the ages of 11 and 15, this is the little girl you have. I remember driving my daughter to school for years before we started homeschooling. And I'd drop her off at the front of the school, and she was happy, and tell me she loved me, and I'd tell her out loud, I love you, you know. And, but then all of a sudden, we got to about... Right before we took her out, we got to about sixth grade, and I drove her to school, and I opened the door, and she walks, so I was walking over to her friends, and I said, I love you, and she goes, I hate you! <laughs> <laughs> like, wow! But that's where it started to change. Um, you know, we can all relate to that. Um, you know, their grades start to slip, maybe, and the, uh, they start mouthing off. They just don't respect authority anymore. They're gone. I mean, they're, they may still be in your house, but essentially they've left your house. They've left 
you as their authority figures in their life. And the reason, one of the reasons for this, in our culture at large, not just, I'm not just saying in um, the church, but I'm saying in our culture at large, our culture has just lost its way. It's lost its way when it comes to parenting, among other things. I mean, you can look at the news and see that it's lost its way all over the place. But parenting specifically, we've essentially become this, this rudderless ship with no, uh, no compass. We lack a, a sense of direction. We simply don't have the capacity as a culture to direct ourselves anymore. Why is that? Well, there's, there's a few reasons. First of all, God has just been taken out of the schools, right? And this started, if you, if you think about this, it started back in the 60s. 1962, prayer in schools was deemed unconstitutional. So they took it out of the schools. 1962. Teachers can't even talk about God anymore. I was talking to a, a friend the other day uh, who's a t who was a teacher. And he said he saw um, these books uh, in the library about God. Good books. Books that we probably would like. And the, the librarian was, was selling them, I think. And um, he's like, why are you getting rid of these? Well, we can't, we can't have these in the library anymore. Any books about God. And so that's, that's part of it. We, they took God right out of the public schools. Um, there's just been a rejection of God-ordained authority starting then. You look at, from, from that point on, you start to see the, uh, the free love, the hippie movement, you know. Just get rid of all authority. Question authority. Get rid of it all. Burn your draft cards. You know, reject your parents. And it all started there. And then the allowing the teachers to teach evolution. The evolutionary theory became taught as fact. In uh, 1968, the Supreme Court case, Epperson versus Arkansas, evolution now is taught as fact. So you see this starting to happen slowly back in the 60s. And so look where we're at now. As a result of this, uh, what used to work in the past, at least with regard to behavior, I mean, let alone the heart, which is what we really want, but even what used to work regarding behavior modification stopped working. doesn't work anymore. The, the authoritarian method, you know, do what I say because I say or you're going to be punished, it doesn't work anymore because it depends on respect for authority. If that respect for authority is not there, even that's not going to work to change behavior. But the problem is, our culture, that's all they know. I mean, there's also, well, you go to the other side and you have the self-esteem, you know, just... Give them everything they want and build their self-esteem. That's the other side. But the authoritarian do what I say because I say it doesn't work. But that's all we know. And I would say not only in our culture, but unfortunately even in the church. That's all we tend to know is that method. God's ways have not even really been tried. You see, in the 40s and 50s, we weren't doing it biblical, but... We were just doing what worked regarding behavior. And this worked. The authoritarian method worked in the 40s and 50s because they were brought up understanding that there was a, an authority. And their parents were their authority. And they just did what they were told to do because their parents were their authority. But they were just doing it to change their behavior. We could care less about the heart. We just wanted them to obey. If they obeyed, we were all good. And this seems to still be our culture's desire, but because of the changes in our culture that came with the 60s, it no longer works. So, if this authoritarian method, then, that we're talking about, 
the one that everybody knows, if this isn't the biblical method, what does the biblical vision of parenting look like? What does the biblical vision of parenting look like? Well, in his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, Ted Tripp, which is a book I would recommend, Shepherding a Child's Heart, I probably put it on the bottom of your notes there, he gives us four areas that are essential in the parenting task. And as we go through this class, the points that we're going to look at, these aren't the points, these are just areas that need to be included. These are essential areas in the parenting task. So we'll look at, our points will all flow into these areas. Okay? So first of all, authority. God calls us all to live under authority. He's ours and he gives us authority over our children. That needs to be understood. He gives us authority over our children. Because we, we are exercising authority as God's agent over our children. You, you must require obedience in your children, not because you say so, not because you just want them to do it, but because God commands it. So you require it because God commands it. He commands them to honor their father and mother. Not as a cruel taskmaster, but as we'll see, as a loving servant leader. He commands that. Secondly, shepherding. Shepherding the heart of your child in the ways of God's wisdom. That's essential. You have to be shepherding your child's heart. This is, as you said, parenting is hard work. And as we're going to see, the, the goal, I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself, but the goal of parenting, um, to be a successful parent, doesn't mean the child ends up being a perfect child. A successful parent is a parent who parents according to God's standards. Just like a successful evangelism isn't getting all these people saved. You can't save anybody. Successful evangelism is sharing the gospel with people, doing what you're told to do. But we'll look at that. But you've got to be shepherding your child's heart. Not only to understand what the child's doing, why they're acting, not only understanding that what they're doing is wrong, but why they're doing it. You have to help them understand why they're doing what they're doing. And that's all going to come from Scripture. Now, you've got to shepherd your child's heart, helping them be discerning. You've got to invest in your child's life, which is hard work. Talk about, don't just tell them things and say, do what I do, do what I say, not what I do. It doesn't fly. You need to tell them to do what you do and what you say. You need to be living what you're telling your kids. Oops. And another one is keeping the gospel center, okay? This needs to be the central focus of parenting. This is our greatest mission field is our kids. We have an awesome opportunity to share the gospel with our children, to raise them up, to see them saved, and to glorify Christ. Now, does that guarantee they're going to be saved? No. But you have an opportunity to, to shepherd them here. I mean, there was, there was times when I looked at my daughter and I just thought, oh man, she's off the rails. There's no, I, I just, I thought I'd lost all hope. But I just kept, kept training her up in the, the ways of the Lord. Um, they've got to understand what they did wrong, but like I said, also why they did it. We don't want to just focus on getting well-behaved children is the bottom line. And then the last one is internalizing the gospel. You have to help them internalize it. <clears throat> Your children must understand it, the message. I remember talking with my son, and he kept asking me, I understand, Dad, I know what you're saying with 
repentance, but I don't know what repentance is. Teach me what repentance is. So I had to go to the, the Word of God. He says, you keep saying repentance. I don't know what it is. I don't know what all these words you're telling me. You're telling me to repent and trust in Christ. How do I do that? What does it mean? Show me from the Bible. So I had to t dig in, and I had to show him. I had to take him through it over and over and over and over until finally the Lord opened his heart and he understood the gospel. But it wasn't just sharing the gospel with him and saying, you've got to repent. Okay, what does that mean, Dad? So we've got to invest in them. We've got to help them internalize it. So those are the four reasons that can be used to kind of measure successful parenting. As I said, if you're doing those things faithfully, you're being a successful parent. Whether your child uh, responds, you have this perfect child or not, you are being a faithful parent if you're parenting them according to God's word. So that's what, we, that's what you want to do. So before I kind of show you where we're going for the next six weeks, do you have any questions? Any comments? Any stories? Bill? I think those of us who are older, well, maybe not as old as me, but those of us who are older, I hope we can appreciate how much more difficult it is now mm than when our children were growing up. We didn't have to compete with the government. That's not true now. Yeah. And I believe that it's the, the imperative of grandparents to pray for their children and grandchildren as they tackle this warfare that's competing with God. Mm. Yeah. It's much more difficult now than it was when our children grew up. Yeah. I mean, it's even much more difficult now than when my children grew up. I mean, it's just it just keeps getting worse and worse and harder and harder. You know, so prayer is so important. It's, it's essential because, you know, God can can change the heart of our children. Carrie, you had it was the same thought. Oh, okay. That at the beginning of the bedrock in places of prayer, because um, as the days grow darker, uh, I believe that Satan wants our children more than anything because he yes. wants to own an entire generation to do whatever he wants to do. Mm -hmm. And so everybody, everybody raising kids today is, is in a a spiritual warfare like no one's seen before. Yeah. And um, yep. so at the root of all authority, shepherding, gospel content is a, is binding our kids in prayer. Yeah. Even even before they're born. <coughs> mm -hmm. you know, we, we prayed for Dylan and Daniel and James before they were born. Yeah. They would be protected, and that we would be given wisdom and our own sinful natures to you know bound to not get in the way. Mm -hmm. so, oh, that's good. I, I agree. Yeah. So important. Yep. Yeah. Prayer is, is essential. All right. So. Oh, go ahead. For those who don't have yet, yeah, and are looking forward to it, I would say, as a ray of hope, there is nothing new under the sun. Right yeah. now, we we I hear a lot. Things are getting worse. It's so much worse than it used to be. It's so much worse. I think to a degree, what that really means, we've taken for granted some of the things that we have had, but. Certainly, things are not worse than they have ever been. Right. They're still better by far than they could be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's true. They could be a lot. They could be a lot worse. I'm, sorry, I have to, I'm just saying that. Changing. 
there hasn't ever been a time in history where every single child is given a rectangle that has the depravity of man and its fullest in their hands. And everywhere I look, I've never seen a time when people just giving the internet uh, just the, the world's views. Right. And I see it all, like uh, before when you can go to a restaurant. How many times have you been, you've been sitting and you see the kids not not engaging in education? Right. So. Yeah, I think that that makes things so much more difficult because it's it's just more to offer that we many people didn't have to deal with growing up. Yep. I'm sure we didn't have to. I think the key to this though is the same. I mean, we're going to talk about this, but if we if the child's heart is changed um, and they're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, um, you know, they've got Christ to to help them, not just us. You know, so right, that's why it's so important that we help them internalize the gospel. People say to me sometimes, well, you know, more kids than ever are going to college and then leaving the faith. And I say, no, they're not. Those kids have never, were never saved in the first place. If they're leaving the faith, they were never saved in the first place. So um, it's not that they go to college and then they, they reject everything and turn away. Well, yeah, they do, but it doesn't matter. They weren't, I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm saying it, it doesn't mean that they lost their salvation. It means they were never saved. And it just comes out once they're out of your umbrella, they're going to do know, what they want to do. So, All right. Well, this is kind of where we're going for the next six weeks. That sixth week might change because I'm going to, it's going to change because I'm going to be here. But, um, so we're going to, we're going to see uh, introduction and priority of parenting. We've already, you know, all these, like I said, are going to funnel into what we've, we looked at in those four areas. Um, and then the, week two will be the goal of parenting. Uh, week three, the roles and methods of parenting. Work four, week four, infancy to childhood, part one, objectives. And then week five, infancy to childhood, part two, procedures. Um, week six was going to be childhood objectives and procedures, but we'll see. Um, and then next year is our second half of this course, and it'll be the older kids. So... Um, but as, I, as you can see, the first three weeks are, um, are going to be very beneficial for all of us. So um, that's where we're going. If you have any questions before we dig into this first one, any, um, there it goes. I had to put this up here. I, mean, I worked hard on this. So. <laughs> questions, concerns, comments? <laughs> Bob's laughing at me. I had him come in my office to see it, and he's just like, uh. <laughs> But, all right, well. If there's no questions, we'll move on, and we'll start with the priority of parenting. As I said, we kind of looked at this, but I want to present these priorities as commitments in this class, okay? Um, so as we begin to look at the topic of biblical parenting, we need to remember that parenting is, is not an entity unto itself. You don't parent in a vacuum. We need to look at God's truth and work in our entire lives. So now the first thing we need to see is that the first commitment that we need to have in parenting, the first priority needs to be a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, Matthew 22, 37 through 40 says, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So a robust, growing relationship with Christ cannot be divorced from parenting. It can't be. 
So before we go any further, let me just ask you, how is your walk with the Lord? Before we talk about raising kids or anything, how is your personal walk with the Lord doing? You know, I, I've talked to people before who are struggling with something, and I'll say, well, how is your walk with the Lord going? Well, I'm not really reading my Bible much. I'm not really praying much. Well, that's where you need to start. You need to be drawing close to the Lord. He will draw near to you. So uh, you need to examine your own relationship with the Lord, first of all. When you think of your relationship to Him, do you think of a casual relationship? Maybe you read your Bible once in a while. I would hope not, but maybe. Or maybe you just come to church and hear you know, the Bible preached. How is your relationship? Or would you say it's intense? You're always growing. You're always in the Word. You're always praying. You're praying without ceasing. You've, you've, you've loved the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind. And you know, none of us are there. None of us are there yet. But is that your desire? Is that what you're striving for in your walk with the Lord? Uh, Psalm 42 says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you. O God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Do you truly desire the Lord? as much as the psalmist does there. You just love sitting down with the Bible and pouring into the Bible and reading it and praying to the Lord. Or has it maybe become kind of lukewarm? You just do it to, to check off a box. That's dangerous. That's a dangerous place to be. Luke 14, 25-27 says, Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So that's the cost of discipleship there. It's hard. He's not saying, you know, literally hate your, your parents or whatever. That would be a sin. But he's saying your love for him should be so far above that love that it looks like hate. That's how much you love the Lord. That your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ has to be everything. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So can you truly say that? Can you truly say you've been crucified with Christ, or is there a part of your life that you still... You still live for the world. You keep this part of your life for you. Think about it. Just examine yourself. If you were to say, this would... Well, no, let me read the next verse real quick. Philippians 1.21 For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is, if you're going to live in this earth, you're going to live for Christ all out. To die is gain. If you were to say this, would you mean it or would you secretly desire the things of the world more than Christ? Something in this world more than Christ. It can be anything. So, before we jump into how to get our kids to behave, we need to examine our own desires and priorities in this area. We can summarize this by saying that our first commitment must be to the Word of God. It must be to the Word of God. This is how we know and learn all we can about God, is by reading His Word. This is 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, this is God-breathed, theopanustis. 
Quite literally, it's God-breathed. This, this Bible is inspired of God, so it's His Word. You want to hear God speak? Read the Bible. You want to hear Him speak out loud? Read the Bible out loud. And you're hearing the Lord speak. So you need, to, you need to know the Word if you're going to know God. You need to be in the Word. You need to know the Word. Be memorizing Scripture. Read lots of the Bible. Get it in your, in your, in your heart. So you need to know the Word of God, and you need to know the God of the Word. To be a biblical parent in our parenting, we have to be growing in our relationship with Him. We desperately need to be growing in our love for God. Uh, repentance from sin, genuine humility, devotion to God's glory, continual prayer, selfless love, separation from the world, spiritual growth, obedient living. We need to be growing in these areas. Make sure you're, you're starting here in your pursuit of parenting. You say, well, it's too late. My kids are already this age. Okay, well, start now. Start now. Start praying for your kids. Start making this a priority in your life. Not because you want your kids to obey, but because you want God to be glorified through your parenting. That's the, that's the, the bottom line. Start with a robust commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, secondly, as you approach parenting... You have to have, a, our second commitment is a commitment to your spouse. You have to have a commitment to your spouse. You need to be committed to the uniqueness of the marriage relationship. This uniqueness includes an exclusive leaving and cleaving relationship, Genesis 2.24. You're leaving your, your, your parents and you're, you're cleaving together with your spouse. It's a covenant relationship, Malachi 2, 13 through 16. And then there's an intimate physical relationship. And no other relationship on earth shares these characteristics. I mean, and if, so all three of these characteristics, you need to be committed to those. <coughs> Secondly, be committed to, I mean, the biblical roles of the husband and the wife. Husband. Be committed to being a, a servant leader, a lover, a learner. You need to be committed to that. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, so, that, so as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Live with your wife in an understanding way. Men, do you know your wife? Do you really know her? You know her desires. You know what she enjoys. If a man doesn't know about his wife, he won't know how to lead her. He won't know how to love her. And then he won't know how to love and lead his children. If you don't lead your family, men, your wife or your children will. You need to be a man who leads his family, who loves the Lord. who loves his wife. He's a servant leader and a learner. <clears throat> if you do that, you're going to be blessed in your marriage. Now, if, if you don't love your wife, she may still submit to you, but that submission will be forced. It'll be joyless. She'll be miserable. But she'll be doing it because she wants to honor God. James 1.25, talking about the blessing, says... But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the, liberty, the law of liberty, 
and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So if you obey the word of God in this area, there'll be a blessing. Now the wife. Wife is to be, she's to honor her husband, to be a helper, to be a homemaker. And we see this in Genesis right there in the roles. We talk about the roles. If you don't do this, a wife who acts foolishly, the Bible tells us, tears down her own household rather than builds it up. Proverbs 14.1 says, The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. <clears throat> so ladies, if you're not honoring your husband by following him, your children are not going to learn how to follow you or others. Now if he's asking you to do something that's sinful, obviously you don't. But other than that, you're to, obey, you're to follow your husband. He is the, he's been placed by God as the leader of the home. He was created first in Adam. Eve was created out of his side as his helper. And your children need to see that functioning correctly in the home, or they get confused. If you don't help him by giving wise input and, and then carrying out the, the course that he's set, you're tearing down your house with your own hands. And then in Titus 2.5, if you don't keep your home in a way that, that pleases the Lord and your husband, you're, you're tearing down your home. doesn't mean it has to be spotless all the time or anything like that. But it, it needs to be a nice home, a, an inviting home. Your marriage, ladies, is the greatest opportunity that you will have to teach your children what you really believe about submission. I know that's a, a word today that people don't like. But you need to teach your children what biblical submission is. Just like the husband needs to teach his children what biblical leadership is. Or they're going to, because if they don't learn it from you, they're going to learn it from the world. They're going to learn this is what uh, submission is bad because. It, it's, it's bad because it, it makes a woman this, 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 and this. Well, it does if it's not biblical submission. You know, and a, a man, there's this, this toxic masculinity, this man, this is bad. Well, yeah, that, that extreme and that, the world's idea of masculinity is that way, but not biblical masculinity. Um, so, that's the wife's... Um, what, what you need to be doing. This is a great opportunity for you both to be showing your families um, how, to, how, how this works, how the family should be functioning. So, are there any questions? We've got just a few minutes here. Um, if not, I'm going to move on to the last commitment. Okay? All right, let's move on. So we've seen the commitment uh, to Christ, the commitment to your spouse, and now the third is the commitment to your family. That needs to be a priority as well. There must be a commitment to being good steward and, a dis and discipling within the context of your family. You have to be discipling your family, men, women, your children. You need to be, it's not just, well, okay, my, say your kids get saved, they're saved, that's it, I'm done. No, there's discipling that needs to take place now. You need to be pouring into them. Discipling should take place before, but once they're saved, you need to be discipling as well, continually, discipling them, discipling your wife. It's hard work, and it never ends. <clears throat> there needs to be discipling that's taking place. We need to be good stewards of the truth. 
The truth about the, the one true God and His work. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. You see, God has designed this passing of faith, righteousness, and truth from one generation to the next. And He designed it to take place through the family. So you need to be diligent in doing that. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be just making disciples of our families. Before we, I, I remember talking to men in California who they couldn't wait to go out and do open-air preaching and, and go on the streets and hand out tracts, but they're, they're not even discipling their families. Their families are shambles. I'm like, guys, no. Go home and disciple your, your family. And then go do those things. But this is more fun, this is easier, whatever. Get back and you're commanded to disciple your family first. That's where God has placed them. <coughs> If, if your faith is not real and sincere and you're just telling them one thing and doing something else, your child's going to recognize that. They're going to spot that hypocrisy miles away. You need to make sure that you're, 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 you're being a good steward of the truth that God has given you and the children that God has entrusted it to you. Train them in the ways of the Lord and live, live out what they teach. You know, that, that's interesting. I just want to point this out and we'll be done. But um, there is a proverb that you've probably heard. It says, 22, 6, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You hear that verse and you think, Oh man, I, I thought I did that. I raised up my child in the way should he, he should go and he departed from it. That's Because that's not what the verse says. You look in the Hebrew and the verse says, Chain up, Train up a child according to his way and he will not depart from it. You just let him do what he wants. And that's how he's going to live. It doesn't mean train him up the way he should go. That's a, that's a bad translation. And I don't think any translation says it that way that the Hebrew says it. Train up a child according to his way, and he will not depart from it. That's what it really says. So if you train up your child and just let him do whatever he wants, that's how he's going to be. He's going to be a horrible child. Because you let him do whatever he wanted. We need to be discipling our children, loving them. But it starts with a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. That needs to be robust. A commitment to your spouse, uh, a commitment to those roles, and then a commitment to your family. So those are the priorities that we need to have as we, as we approach parenting. And next week, as we gather, we'll look at the goals. I mean, we looked at them a little bit, but next week we'll dig into them more. So that's all, folks. So let me pray, and then we'll be done. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to... Um, just talk about parenting. But it is hard, it's difficult, but uh, we want to honor and glorify you. And we want you to be magnified, not us. We don't want our comfort to be, uh, we don't want everything just to be about our comfort, but we want it to be about you. We want to be successful in raising our children up in the way that they should, they should go, truly the way they should go. And um, we pray that in doing that, you'd be glorified through that. Father, we love you. Uh, we give this day over to you now in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to a presentation from Maranatha Bible Church in Comstock Park, Michigan. No part of this recording may be edited or distributed without prior written consent. For more information, go to mbcmi.org.